Becky said something a while ago. So good. That was so good. Um, isolation. I mean, that's, that's what this whole thing has done, tried to do to us. The whole uh, quarantine, all that kind of stuff is to, to bring about isolation. And maybe not on purpose, but the enemy likes to use that to take us out of the way, to take us away from community. And there, there is no sickness that can stop what God has put in as community. There's no disease. I can tell you, I can tell you over the last five years, it's very easy for me to isolate myself because of stuff going on in my body, stuff going on in my brain. And I think people don't understand or people ask questions, why are you doing this? <laughs> you know, and it's, it's very easy to isolate. But, you know, there's a scripture in Revelation chapter three. I know Revelation. Ooh. <laughs> he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And see what we've done in evangelical churches is we've taken that word and said, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. But that's not what that scripture means. That's not what that scripture says. I'm not saying that we can't use that. I'm saying that when you look to the truth of it, Jesus is standing on the side of the door of of your life that has no doorknob. The doorknob's on our side. And when he stands at the door and knocks, he says, hey, I want my church back. Come away from isolation. Come out of your caves. Come out of your dens. Come out of your houses. And turn that knob and step out. I think there's people in this room, people watching. You've been isolating yourself, not just because of the, the, the coronavirus and all this kind of stuff, not just because government has told us to, to stay away from people. The, there's, there's something on the inside of you that you've been behind that door. And behold, Jesus himself is standing on the other side and he's knocking. Will you open that? Will you open that? You recognize yourself in isolation. Open the door and step into his world. That doesn't mean you got to stay where you're at. You open the door, he don't come in. You open the door, you go out. And he walks with you. I've come to know that on the other side of that door, there's another door. But in between those doors is a hallway. And I've come to know it as the hellway. But we gotta, we gotta, we got to come out of isolation and go into his world because he's going to walk through you, walk with you through your hellways. Amen. Take you to the, another phase, the next phase of your life. That's where we're at. Father, I just thank you so much for this day. I thank you for being able to be in community. Father, that we trust you. We trust you enough to be in community together. And so today, Father, those of us that feel like we're in isolation, maybe there's people thinking you're moving towards isolation, don't let it get you. Father, I just thank you so much for opening our doors. For us, when we open our, our doors into your life, you take us and you engulf us in who you are. We thank you. We praise you, God, for all you do and all that you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
right. Well, it's good to see you guys today. Good to have everybody in the house today. I, I don't think everybody's here, but you're here, so that's, that's good enough. So if you would say hello to somebody. I know you're sitting down, but say hello to somebody you haven't said hello to yet. Thank you, sir. No, it's all right. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Well, I guess Pastor Lynette's been using this pulpit. It is a little high, but I, th- I think I can get it. I think I'll be all right. Hello, everybody. I'm Pastor Lynette's husband. Well, good morning, good morning. Good, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I want to welcome all of our Facebook Live and uh, the other platforms that we have welcome you for joining us live, or maybe you're watching this later on in the week, but uh, we're, we're live, the word still remains, and uh, we thank you for joining us this morning. Um, man, you guys are awesome. It's good to stand up here and see you guys in the place that you're at. You're not letting things keep you inside, right? Amen. Amen. So um, I have... I have some pretty amazing news before I get into this. By the way, if, if I've never met you before, my name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church. And I look, I look forward to meeting you at some point if, if uh, I haven't met you before. Um, talked to a guy last week and I walked up and shook his hand, didn't recognize him. And I said, uh, have we met? He says, yes. <laughs> well, I've slept since then, so I apologize. And uh, anyways, um, I'm, I'll, I'll do better. Um, but anyways, I got some pretty amazing news for you guys. Uh, we, we have um, been in this building for 10 years, a little over 10 years. And when we, when we bought this place, it was over a half a million dollars. And, and it's like, how are we going to do this? But I have some news Thursday morning, I met our, what I call our CFO, our chief financial officer, um, Kelly Herrick. I met her over at the bank and uh, I met her at the bank and her and I got to write a final check to pay for this building. We are debt free. We're debt free. Now, now we can just go home. Man, I, I need to make that kind of news every week to see if y'all are here. But uh, we are debt free. We are debt free. It's so, so cool. Um, I, I just was humbled, I guess, to know that through the coronavirus, all that isolation, all that uh, quarantine. Nobody can go to church. Therefore, if you don't go to church, you can't give all this kind of stuff financially. We, we never stopped. Y'all never stopped. And it just kept rolling. And here we are paying off a church. Um, paying off a church, the quarter million dollars. This makes it sound really good then. <laughs> but paying off a church in the midst of all this stuff that's going on is amazing. And I am, I am thankful, I am honored, I am humbled by your uh, faithfulness to God 
You're not, you're not faithful. It's not about you being faithful to me. It's about being faithful to God. And, and you have been, and you are, and you will be. Amen. Amen. So, good news, huh? Amen. Amen. So this morning, I want to continue the thoughts, continue the conversation that Pastor Lynette has been talking about with the revival. Um, she got that from me. But she sure preaches it better than I do. But I'm going to continue on with some of her thoughts. Man, I'll tell you, I just brag on my wife. She's not here. Uh, it, it is amazing how good of a communicator she has become. I mean, she's always been a good preacher. But her ability to preach and bring things together has just been phenomenal over the last year or two. And um, man, she is so good. So I just, I, I told, I told her when we went into ministry, I said, I'll carry your Bible anywhere because I recognize gifts and she has one and she's married to one. I just said, I got to convince myself sometimes, you know, so um, I want to continue the thoughts and the, the conversation uh, for you guys on revival, on what revival is, because See, we're, we're not limited or bound by a church or a church service to have revival. Revival, I think she so clearly put it, revival is not an event that happens. It's a lifestyle that happens on the inside of us. And when we all are pursuing that revival, we're all pursuing together in community to see what God wants to do in your community, not just in your life, but in your community, because you need personal revival that leads to household revival, that leads to community revival, that leads to state revival, that leads to nation revival. And I think that's where we're at. Our nation is dying. Our churches are dying. You say, well, that's negative. And it, it may be negative, but it's the current reality of where we're at. It's, it's things, things are dying. And if things are dying, they need a revival. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Amen. See, our, our country, when I, when I look around, when I listen, when I see news, um, what I, what I figured out is that we, we start grasping at straws, trying to revive some things. And, and the, one of those big straws that we grasp at is politics. And we're in the heart of, of politi- a political climate that is so um, tense right now that, you know, I think that only, only someone with a personal revival can begin to change the, the air. And look, President Trump has given me the ability to endorse who I want to from this stage. Before before I couldn't do that, they'd take my 501c3. (laughs) See, they can't do that anymore. But here's the way I feel about it. I'm not going to stand up here uh, and and endorse anybody. I've got my personal things. But that's that's the point. That's the point. Because if we are in revival in ourselves we'll know how to vote. And if you're not a voter, you need to vote. 
If you're not registered to vote, you need to register to vote, and you need to vote. This is critical. It is critical. We can sit around the TV set and, and, and you know, speak of our nation going to hell in a handbasket. The only reason it is is because the Christian majority in the last vote did not come out and vote. And this is critical. It's a critical time. And what we have to do is take that revival that we've been given and we vote according to the truth. According to the truth. Not according to the man. Not according to the, to the uh, most impressive. The one who can talk the best. It's about the issues. And we need to vote based upon our moral truth. Amen. I'm not here to talk about voting today. I just wanted to throw that in there because I believe um, I was driving into the office on Wednesday and to begin putting all this together for this weekend, just kind of praying. I don't know if you pray when you drive. Don't, don't close your eyes when you pray and drive. <clears throat> but, oh, I'm just driving by faith, Pastor. Jesus don't. Take Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> I'll just say this. My God can do anything. My Savior can do anything. But he never drove a car. So don't put put him behind the wheel. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. I'm going to get myself in trouble if I don't continue. But as I was driving to to the office, um, this phrase come to me, this this saying come to me, and I had to write it down as soon as I got to the office. The problem that we have is that we're living in a generation of Christians that trust their truth in God instead of trusting God's truth in them. See, we're so opinionated that when we get a hold of a truth, we make it our truth about God. But the problem is, is we're making our truth about God instead of allowing God's truth to be about us. You'll get that on the way home hopefully, but his truth is his word. See, this, this Bible that we've been given, thank God we live in a country that we can have this. We can have multiple of these. We can have in different translations. We can have these, right? This is the owner's manual of truth for a Christian, for a believer, for anyone. But too many Christians read what they believe instead of believe what they read. We like our themes. We like, to, we like to do things that really bless us. But we get into the words on suffering. Get into the words on wrath. We, we, no, we'll just stick to the one that talks about blessing and, and healing and all these things. You know what I mean? But revival, when we talk about revival, revival is a restoration of God's word that becomes an encounter with truth. Amen. That's what revival is. We all need a revival. Amen. Allowing the truth of his word to become an encounter with truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we need revival. See, we can all know God's promises for our circumstances. We, we, we can know. But knowing the truth is different than encountering the truth that we know. 
There's something that's got to shift. There's something that's got to take place. So that's where I want to start out today. If you have your Bibles, if you would, go over to John chapter 11. John in the New Testament, the fourth book over in the New Testament. And here in John chapter 11, Jesus and his disciples heard that Jesus, one of his best friends, is sick and dying. A man named Lazarus is sick and he's dying. And um, they, you know, sent word to him and they said, come, you know, your, your friend, your friend is dying. How, how many of us, when we hear that our friend is dying, that we jump and go right then? You know, if he needs me, I'm going to go. If she needs me, I'm going to get up and go. But Jesus is sitting there. He said, okay. All right. Well, I'm going to finish what I got. I'm going to finish what I got to do here. He didn't just jump and run. And he stayed two more days in the place where he was at, knowing that his friend is sick and dying. So Jesus waits two days and he goes, well, guests better go wake Lazarus up. And his disciples looked at him and said, well, if he's asleep, then he'll get better. Jesus said, no, dummy, he's dead. (laughs) And God wants to get glory for this. So they take off, they go to Bethany, where Lazarus was from. And Lazarus has two sisters, Martha and Mary. You've probably heard about them before if you read this New Testament very much. And um, as he was going, by the time he got to where he was going, it had been four days since Lazarus died. And they have... I don't know if they've embalmed him or what, but they just wrapped him up and threw him in a cave, you know, in a tomb and covered it over. And Jesus shows up. And as Jesus is coming down the road, Martha, Lazarus' sister, runs out to meet him. And when we read this, you're going to see that Martha knows the truth. She knows the truth. So if you are there in your Bibles, John chapter 11, verse 21 is where I'm going to start. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. I, I just liked it so well even though it's my wife's Bible. She's not here. I can talk about her. Verse 21 says, Martha said to Jesus, My Lord, if only you had come sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know, did you hear? I know if you were to ask God for anything, he would do it for you. Jesus told her, your brother will rise and live. Martha said, or Martha, Jesus said, where am I at? I don't even know where I'm at. Verse 24, I'm sorry. My glasses are right there and I'm too prideful to put them on. (laughs) She replied, verse... I have found that you got to wear them down on your nose like this. Start this over again. Jesus told her, your brother will rise and live. And she replied, yes, I know. I know he will rise with everyone else on resurrection day. So apparently they had learned about a resurrection day. When everybody, everybody who's a believer, a disciple is going to rise 
up in resurrection, physical resurrection. She says, I know that. I know that. I know that. Martha, Jesus said, you don't have to wait until then because I am the resurrection and I am the life eternal. Anyone who clings to me in faith, even though he dies, will live forever. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And then Martha replied, yes, Lord, I do. I've always believed that you are the anointed one, the son of God who has come into the world for us. She knows the truth. She knows. She knows. Did you, Jesus said, do you know that I am the resurrection? She said, yeah, I know. I know. I know. See, knowing the truth is different than encountering the truth. This goes on. We're going to go on down to verse 38 and see this. Verse 38 says, Then Jesus, with intense emotions, came to the tomb, a cave with a stone placed over its entrance, and Jesus told them, Roll away the stone. Then Martha, who knows that Jesus is the resurrection, Martha said, But Lord, It's been four days since he died, and by now his body is already decomposing. You know what that means? He stinks. I like what the King James said. He stinketh. Anytime there's an ETH on the end of a New Testament King James word, it means it's 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 a constant thing. So he stinketh and stinketh more. His body is decomposing and Jesus looked at her and said, didn't I tell you, didn't I just tell you that if you will believe in me, you will see God unveil his power. So they rolled away the heavy stone. Jesus gazed into the heaven. He didn't gaze into the cave. He gazed into heaven and he said, father, thank you that you've heard my prayer for you. Listen to every word that I speak now so that these these who stand here with me will believe that you have sent me to the earth as your messenger. I will use the power you have given me. Then with a loud voice, Jesus shouted with authority, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. Then in front of everyone, Lazarus, who had died four days earlier, slowly hobbled out He still had grave clothes lightly wrapped around him, around his hands and his feet, and covering on his face. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him loose. Four days. Stinking. A stinking four days. And Jesus shows up and he speaks, Lazarus, come out of that tomb. And Lazarus come out. (laughs) And he says, loose him and let him go. See, everyone that was standing there encountered a revelation of the truth. Everyone standing there, he said, Father, do this. So that these people can encounter your truth. They know the truth. 
Martha is standing there. She knows the truth. Mary, her sister, is standing there. She knows the truth. But it wasn't until they encountered the truth. All the disciples that were standing there encountered truth. And it became a revelation. It became a revival. It became a living on the inside of them because the resurrection, Jesus, the resurrection, had them encounter what they believed. See, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the revival. Revival, I looked, the, I looked this up and Lynette had given you a definition and this goes right along with it. It may be the same place that she looked it up too. But Noah Webster put together a, Bible, put together a dictionary in 1828. Noah Webster was a pioneer because he did not want the, the, the monarchy, malarkey from across the pond to be his defining truth. He wanted to, have, to, to put together a dictionary that defined his truth. It's called the American, the American, not the United Kingdom, not England, the American Dictionary of the English Language in, 1920, in 1828. And I, I, I am honored to have one of those copies of that, uh, of that dictionary. But this is what Noah Webster, how he defined revival. Revival is a return, a recall, a recovery to life from death. Everyone that was standing there that day when Lazarus come hopping out of that tomb <laughs> encountered and saw revival because they saw and encountered the resurrection. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am revival. Now, just a few weeks later, it could be several weeks later, Jesus went to his own death. He died on the cross and was resurrected on the third day out of that tomb. Amen? Amen. You believe that? Yeah. You know that? Yeah. yeah. That is what Christianity is about. Modern Christianity, Christianity today. Our current reality of, of, um, of Christianity is about the resurrection. Amen? So for us, Christians, embracing Jesus' resurrection is our encounter with the truth. And when we encounter that truth, when we say, Jesus, come into our life, we, we recognize you. We recognize your re resurrection. Come into our life. It causes us to be born again. And that's where we become Christ followers. That's where we become Christians. That's where we encounter the truth. That's where we experience revival, and it results in being born again. I love this. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, even when we were dead in trespasses, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. That's what resurrection is about. That's what revival is. See, when we're born, 
and we grow up and come into a knowledge of Jesus being the resurrection, it causes us to be born again. In other words, life comes into something that was dead. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he caused us to be alive in Christ. See, wherever you're at in your Christian walk, you have revival in your spirit. You have revival on the inside of you. Revival is at the core of every Christian. And as I was thinking about revival being on the inside of every one of us, because it's the foundation of our Christianity, it's running through our spirit. All I could see thinking about that, all I could see was a candle. And you know, in the, in the middle of the candle, in the middle of the candle is a wick. For this candle to serve its purpose in its life, not that it's breathing or anything, but in its <laughs> creation, that wick can't just be on top. It has to run the length to do what it's designed to do. What this candle is designed to do, it has to have a wick on the inside of us, on the inside of it. That's what revival is to us. The revival runs down the core of who we are. Just like that candle has a wick running through the core of who it is. Because when that candle is lit, when, it, when you put fire to that, now the candle becomes... It goes to work, and that becomes its purpose is to light the room. It's there, and it's what gives that candle purpose. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus said this. He said, you, you, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden, no one lights a lamp or a candle And then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Not a light unto itself, but a light to everyone in the house. And Jesus says, you are that lamp. You have to be lit. Get lit. (laughs) We have to get lit. Because our purpose, our purpose as Christians, our purpose as believers in this world is to be a firelight. And that wick or the revival that is running through us, it needs to be lit to fulfill the purpose that God has given to us. See, we can call ourselves Christians and we can walk around as a Christian, but unless we're lit, our purpose does not come out. We still got a wick on the inside of us. We still got that revival on the inside of us, but that revival needs to be lit. And one of my favorite subjects to talk about anytime I want to talk, anytime I want to choose what I want to talk about, I want to talk about fire. I want to talk about fire. Because fire helps fulfill our purpose. Over in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is, Jesus is fixing to ascend. 
Y'all know what fixing to is, don't you? I mean, it's about to commence. Getting ready. Jesus, here in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is getting ready or fixing to or about to commence to ascend into heaven and turn his, his ministry over to his disciples that are left on this earth. And his disciples start with those 11 or 12 at that point. Those are his disciples, and then he's got many on the outside of that. But it transcends time into who we are. Because Jesus, when he went to heaven, he gave us his spirit, and he handed over his ministry for us to get lit and begin to pour out in our purpose of who he called us to be as a Christian. He's, he's getting ready to sin, and he pronounces the purpose of what a disciple is to do. Acts chapter, three, Acts chapter 1, verse 3 says this. After the sufferings of his cross, Jesus appeared alive many times to those same apostles over a 40-day period. Jesus proved to them with many convincing signs, many convincing signs that he had been resurrected revived during these encounters he taught them the truths of God's kingdom realm and shared meals with them Jesus instructed them do not leave Jerusalem but wait here until you receive the gift that I told you about the gift the father has promised for John baptized you with water but in a few days from now you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Go over to verse 8. He says, But I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be seized with power. I love that, being seized with power. And you will be my messengers to Jerusalem throughout Judea, the distant provinces, even to the remotest remotest places on earth. How many of you know that we are thousands of miles away from Israel? When Jesus was saying that to them, he was saying that my gospel, the gospel of my resurrection, the revival that you have received is going to go around the world to the remotest places. Did you know that during that time we were the remotest places? And that's where we are today. We're in the remotest places. But we have a wick running through us. We have a revival running through us that needs to be lit. And they proved this lighting. There was a day that this lighting happened. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. It says, On the day of Pentecost, on the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples were gathered in one place. Suddenly, suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could bear. Then all at once, a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. 
Do you see what happened here? These men who had been with Jesus, these, these people who had been with Jesus, that had this wick of revival, knowing the resurrection, encountering Lazarus' resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus for the, for the last 40 days, they have been encountering resurrection. He says, that resurrection that's on the inside of you that runs through the core of who you are, the revival that's in you needs to be lit. Every one of them needed a personal revival. Are you hearing me? See, revival fire ignites them to light the world. And revival fire ignites us to light the world. And it empowered them not only to experience and encounter resurrection, but to share the resurrection. Jesus wanted everyone to encounter the truth, the truth of his resurrection. See, us preachers can make it very difficult to understand what it means to be born again. But very simply, what Jesus wanted them to do is to be lit and to shine. Not to walk around with a... a um, Bible track and walk up to somebody and say, do you know Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior? (laughs) No, and with that attitude, I really don't want to. It's about just being who you are and being lit. Because if you are who you are, being lit on fire by the presence, the power, and the glory of God, if you are on fire... People are going to know that you're on fire. You don't have to convince them you're on fire. And when they know you're on fire, they're going to say, what do you got that I don't got? And when they fling the door open, you can walk right into it. Amen. Now, there's something catchy here because when he talks about the fire... It engulfed them. The fire appeared before their eyes and then tongues of fire, tongues of fire. Tongues is not like what's in your mouth. It may look like, hey, do you, do y'all remember? I don't even know if I should bring this up. Do y'all remember the band Kiss? Nobody in here listened to Kiss ever, did they? No, they were bad. But that one dude, that Gene Simmons dude, that had that, he'd stick his tongue out and wiggle it around. You know, that's the picture. I'm sorry, but that's the picture of the fire that came upon them. If we were, if we were to light this candle today, it would have that, that motion, right? That's what he's talking about. When tongues of fire came upon them, it engulfed them and lit them up with this fire. I'm just trying to get you all to see what I'm seeing, all right? This is not pre-planned. I just want you to understand what I'm talking about. But 
but it goes on and says when, you know, the, when that fire engulfed each one of them, it says that it inspired them to speak in tongues. Now, some people get really weirded out at that. But here's what that is. See, we, we, a lot of times we'll say when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that the, the gift of prayer, prayer, our prayer language, tongues, our prayer language will come. And that is true. But that's not what this is. What this is, is what God's power and the encounter of truth begins to do. Because Jesus said, you're going to go into all the world. And if you're going to go into all the world, you got to know, even if you've never learned, you've got to know that Holy Spirit on the inside of you will adapt to your environment, adapt you to that environment so that you can get God's gospel into someone who don't speak your language. Languages that they had never learned, they begin to speak by the power of this Holy Spirit on the inside of them. It wasn't that they were speaking gibberish. It was that they were speaking whatever the languages were that people needed to hear the gospel. They couldn't understand their language. And it gave them this ability. But let's digress a little bit from their language them being able to speak a foreign language. Here's what I know. There's not a whole lot of people that I run into in my world, my realm of influence, that don't speak my language. You know, uh, English. (laughs) Okie. I have my own language, you know, and I I don't know how to speak any other language. Um, I do know a little bit of Cherokee, but... I only know, hello, how are you doing in Cherokee? Osio Hatija. And I probably said it like an Okie, and <laughs> Cherokees don't understand that. But the fact of the matter is, it's not about me learning the language so that I can preach the gospel to them. It's about me trusting Holy Spirit to be able to speak their language. Here's what I know, is that I'm around people that speak my language, but they're in different cultures. And I have heard, and I have been told even, that you cannot, that I cannot, as an individual, minister to somebody that I'm not familiar with their culture. That's not right. Because they were inspired. If the Holy Spirit can inspire them to speak somebody else's dialect and language, then he can, he can inspire me to speak to somebody where I haven't walked in their shoes. I mean, I've been on a few bulls, okay? Bull riders, you know? I've been on a few. I've been on enough bulls to know what the experience is like, and that's all I wanted. And I did that thinking that when I minister to a bull rider, I have to speak. I can only speak to him because I've experienced what he's experienced. But that's not right. I was told um, one time that you can't, you know, that I'm not a farmer, so I can't speak to a farmer. I can't preach the gospel to a farmer because I have to be a farmer in order to speak to a farmer. That is dumb gone to seed. (laughs) That I've got to be a first responder in order to minister to a first responder. 
I've got to be, I've got to be a um, military person in order to minister to a military person? No, because the Holy Spirit gives me the ability to minister beyond the culture, beyond the limits of culture. That's what happened whenever they got their fire lit. Revival is not limited to culture, politics, race, creed, profession, or anybody else's experience. I don't have to walk in their shoes in order to minister the God that has walked in their shoes. So I don't have to be afraid of that. I don't have to be afraid to preach the gospel if I'm lit. See, revival is not limited to culture, politics, race, creed, profession, or one's experience because the beauty of personal revival fire is that we can speak anyone's language. We can speak to anyone and who they are and whatever profession they're in. It doesn't limit us to that because the empowerment of the Holy Spirit takes the limits off so that every person can encounter truth and experience revival. Are you all with me? When we desire personal revival, that revival wick is lit on the inside of us. And the power of the Holy Spirit is what releases our purpose that God has placed in us. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says, about halfway down in the verse, it says, from the creation of this world, the invisible qualities of God's nature have been made visible, such as his eternal power and transcendence. He has made his wonderful attributes easily perceived, for seeing the visible makes us understand the invisible. You know what that means? I'm glad you asked um, because you all looked at me like, you know what it means? It means that we have the ability to look around us and what's happening in nature, what, what, what we see in our nature and realize how big God really is. And so he puts pictures out there all the time for us. As, as we learn and grow in his word, as we experience his truth, as we encounter who he is, as that personal revival, we begin to see things that God has done visibly so that we can understand his invisible nature. So what we, we've been experiencing here in Colorado and what they've been experiencing out in California and on the West Coast is a lot of forest fires. And, and we've <clears throat> been um, concerned. I don't like to see anybody's place burned down. I don't like to see people get in, put into a situation where they have to leave their homes and all their possessions so that the fire can come through. It's terrible. It's de- devastating. But here's what I want to show you. For those of you that don't know, I went to college for forestry. I wanted to be a tree climber. No, I, I wanted to 
to be a forest ranger, I guess. I don't know what I wanted to do. It's kind of a, you know, it's kind of an 18-year-old thinking he knows what he wants in his life to do. And he really don't. But I, I, I got my associate degree in applied science for forestry. And it comes up every now and then. As a matter of fact, I went to, uh, I, I was going to forestry school. I graduated from Northeastern Oklahoma A&M, little two-year community college type of deal, and transferred to Oklahoma State University. And when I transferred to Oklahoma State University as a um, sophomore becoming a junior in uh, college, <clears throat> they sent me on a summer forestry field trip for, six, or for nine weeks. I had to come to Colorado to the CSU Extension up in Pingree Park. I was there for six weeks learning forestry. Y'all had a different forest than what I came out of in eastern Oklahoma. <laughs> so it was a crash course learning of western forestry. Dendrology. That's a big word, isn't it? Called, it's the study of trees. <laughs> so we was put in this environment, and what, what was happening, what was just at the beginning of, of, of what we're seeing today is that the, the pine beetle was coming in, just starting to devastate the trees and, and the, the pine trees and stuff that are up there. The reason that the pine beetles came in is because there hadn't been fire through there. We've suppressed the fires, but we've empowered the beetles. And empowering those beetles to do what they do, now when we get the fires, they're hard to stop. They're difficult because there's so much tinder up there <clears throat> that gets lit. But here's the, here's the whole point of my story. is that I found out, I, I learned that there is a, a pine tree up there that needs fire. It's called the lodgepole pine. The lodgepole pine tree has pine cones that are so tightly closed, they never open until they're lit. Until they reach a temperature, a certain temperature that only fire brings, they pop open when that heat gets intense and drop the seed. But if there's no fire... There's no seed. We are like those pine cones. When there's no, when we don't allow God's fire to engulf our lives. See, Jesus said, no, I'm sorry, John the Baptist said, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but there's one coming after me, Jesus, who is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. <clears throat> and so many times we just get comfortable in being baptized in the Holy Spirit because that's the weirdest thing that we've ever done. And we don't want no weirder. But then there's a fire that comes along with that. If you allow and yield yourself to the fire, it will light you up and explode you into seeding what is around you. See... The immediate devastation of the forest fires that are taking place up there, the immediate devastation is terrible. It's so awful, especially when it burns down someone's home that live in those, in those places. 
But I would hope that they know when they build their home in those places that they are susceptible to the fire. <laughs> but for hundreds of years, I remember when I was up there. Can I just tell this real quick? Yeah. This wasn't in my notes. When I was up there, we went, <clears throat> we went in and, and cut down some trees, um, went into a clear-cut area. We went ahead and cut one down that, that the state allowed us to cut down. And we began to look at the growth rings on those trees. And you could count the years through the growth rings. But what was cool is you could see the fire scars on those trees in, in the rings where they've repaired themselves. You could see where, which way the fire was coming, which direction it was coming. And the year that it was or approximate, close proximate year, of when that fire came, came through. And then going back into history, you could see that. You could, you know, the history talks about that, those fires coming through. But the cool thing is, is that when that fire comes through, the trees begin to repair themselves and the new seedlings come to regenerate because the fire has exploded them and allowed the seeds to be, to be put out and regerminate. Revive. Revival. See, we're like that pine cone. We have to allow <clears throat> and yield ourselves to the fire because the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and empowers us and encounters us with the truth. But sometimes we don't allow the fire. Guys, we need to allow the fire. Will it devastate some pieces of who you are? Absolutely. But it needs to devastate the pieces of who you are that you haven't given to God yet. We need fire. We need fire. Personal revival is about the fire. Personal revival is about Holy Spirit bringing fire into our presence and devastating the things that we don't need and reviving the things that we do need and expanding the kingdom of God around us. Y'all okay? Can I keep going? Personal revival. See, we need, we need to encounter fire, the revival fire for personal revival to release the power of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I, you, you go to Jerusalem. He tells his disciples, you go to Jerusalem and you wait. You know how long they waited? A week. They waited a week. And when Pentecost came in, now Pentecost was a day, but Pentecost to us is any time. Pentecost is when we will wait and be ready for the, for the fire of God to fall on us. Jesus wants to baptize us with the fire. See, we need his fire so that we can light the world. We need his fire so that we can expand his kingdom. Because like that pine cone, we need some intense heat. God wants to do that. 
He wants to do that in your life. He wants to do that now. So if you would indulge me just a minute, would you stand on your feet? If you can. There have been times that I have got to this point and asked people to come up and me lay hands on them and receive the fire, but I'm not going to do that today. Because I believe his presence is in this room. I believe his presence is in your house or wherever you are. If you're driving right now listening to this, do not stand up. (laughs) If you want to pull over, you can, but you can receive it right where you're at. And if, and if you want that, if you want that, you just put your hands out in front of you like you're, like you're going to receive a gift, like somebody's going to drop a big old gift in your hands. Well, that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen because he said, I, you know, John came to baptize in water, but Jesus came so that we could be baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. God wants to make you more purposeful. And it comes through fire. It comes through getting lit. So as your hands are out and as you're ready to receive this, maybe you received this before, maybe you just need a little stoking. <laughs> this is the time. This is the time. So if you want his fire, I'm going to pray and you're going to receive. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your fire. And God, we wait on you. It's, 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 like, it's like the day, it's like that day that Pentecost came. It came with a rushing mighty wind and a fire that engulfed your people. And Father, as these are reaching out, have their hands out ready to receive, I pray right now in Jesus' name, fire. 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 Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Some of you just got lit. I don't know if it's because the air conditioner's not on, but there's sweat rolling down my back right now. Fire. Fire. So here's here's what you're going to experience from here. Say, well, I didn't feel nothing. But see, you stepped into it. And things are going to change. Your language is going to change as you step in front of somebody. You're going to be able to minister into their culture. No matter what their culture says, no matter what their culture does, you're going to be able to speak the gospel, your experience with Christ into their lives. Are you ready to do that? Thank you, Father. Father, I pray that these who have received this morning, I pray that whether they felt anything or they didn't feel anything, that God, it's by faith that we believe those things. We know that we have the fire. Now, Father, help us to encounter that truth. Help us to encounter that fire. Father, for some of us, it's going to take going home and being in our own house and just waiting, just waiting for you to light us up. Father, we choose today to get lit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow.